From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino, and this is a VinePair podcast special episode. Today, I am joined by Elisa Marie Beyer, CEO of Spa Girl Cocktails, a line of premium canned sparkling vodka cocktails. Elisa, thank you for joining me. Oh my gosh, thank you, Joanna. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you and to get to chat. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, I thought we could kick it off with a little bit about your background and uh, your career history and, and how you got to Spa Girl. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm joining you all from sunny San Diego, or normally it's sunny. It's actually raining today, but it's part of how, how this whole story um, kind of came about. But um, from a career perspective, I guess you would just say that I am an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and um, come from a long line of entrepreneurs, actually, and started my first company in my early, early to mid 20s mm-hmm. and was just fortunate to love it. Um, and I built and sold um, five different companies and the thread through all of them, which really kind of ties into spa girl cocktails and, and what led me here is the fact that all my companies were focused on products for women. Mm-hmm. So whether that's a beauty product or it was, you know, swimsuit companies for sports illustrated, whatever it was, it really always evolved around building something that women really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of connecting in those brand communities. Amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, we can get into that a little bit later, um, but maybe before we jump into Spa Girl and and your experience uh, working with the brand, uh, maybe you can share with us the things you wish you knew before you bought a vodka company <laughs> um, wow. coming from fashion and beauty. Yeah, I always say I went from lipstick to liquor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and I obviously was drinking way too much when I made the decision, actually. Um, <laughs> I like I Spa Girl way too much. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, y'all, I can tell you about this industry. So, you know, <laughs> I've built different companies for women, but this is a special business. Mm-hmm. Um, I... <laughs> I think the other day I was I was talking with with a big strategic and they said, well, how have you done this? How have you run this company? I said, well, I run it on caffeine, <laughs> chaos and cuss words. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a good strategy. How this whole thing's gone down. But um, here's here's my top five. I really wish I'd known this and I did one cash is king. Mm-hmm. Um, but cash flow in this business is queen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you will run out of money faster in liquor than you, you you're going to turn around and be like, wow, where'd that million go? Mm-hmm. Um, it's gone really, really fast. It's a very expensive, you know, high bar of entry, mm-hmm. um, very difficult uh, to, to succeed. So that was one. The second one is like, um, wow, red tape is everywhere. So you better mm-hmm. bury your scissors because... <laughs> I'm like, I've never been in an industry like that. I had no idea. I'd heard. Um, I didn't really realize that you are literally regulated constantly. Left and, and right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. Um, the third thing is, well, and I started my career as a crisis communications manager. So I really didn't use that much until I started, until I acquired this company. <laughs> um and I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I'm a crisis manager. So I would say running this business um, in liquor is inherently chaotic mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So uh, you need to be a great chaos coordinator. And I think it takes a very high tolerance for extreme uncertainty, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen in a lot of businesses. I'd say that 
my first six to eight months, I woke up every day to like a multiple number of crises that I had no idea they were even coming. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is, this is quite something. So those are different than other companies. The, the other thing is in this business, um, sales fixes everything and you need to just stop talking and start doing. Mm-hmm. And what I would tell people about this, uh, the industry is that you have a very small window. Um, when you get on the shelf, people think getting on is the hard part. Selling through is what's hard. And that window will shut so fast. You don't even know what happened and you'll be off the shelf and you'll be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there's a pace to the chaos that's unlike anything I've ever seen. And which kind of goes to, I have, I have my five and then I've got my bonus one because I, I talked about this. <laughs> But the fifth one is success is super like it's temporary mm-hmm. and, and what I, I guess I would say success is temporary luck and the week will absolutely get eaten in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you are just, you got to hustle in this business like you can't imagine. And it never ends y'all. It doesn't end. It's <laughs> like, that's probably the hardest part that a, a burnout for the team. Cause you think you, you know, you get the contract, you get on the shelf, you get the next product you get. It just doesn't end. Like the hurdles just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I wish I knew it is not, it's not easy. It's fun. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not, um, the last thing I would tell you guys, and, and if you want, Joey, we could dive into this at, at any point that you think it's interesting for the listeners. But what I found maybe out of all of that most surprising is that innovation is not seen as sexy. Um, huh. And you, you will hear no a lot. So compared to like beauty and fashion and other industries I've come out of where innovation is just it's everything. Right. Mm-hmm here you'll hear no a lot. And we heard no a lot from people. Um, that's not the right product. That's not the right thing. Nobody wants that. That's too much. It's too innovative. It's off trend. Um, so that was really surprising to me because other industries thrive on innovation. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, we're getting there, but I mean, we're, we're really pretty old fashioned industry, right? Pretty old school. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I feel like that's a, that's. I mean, those are all very interesting. Just to the last, the point of the last one, though. Why do you, like? Why do you think that is? Is it just a matter of kind of nailing, you know, nailing what they what you know works, and kind of uh, rolling with that? Um, why Why do you think there's a resistance to innovation? Mm. Well, first, there's because a there's a total lack of um, focus on the consumer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things when we're talking to strategics or I go into retailers and I, I start out not talking about the product, I start talking about our consumer and their consumer mm-hmm. and everything we know about them. And people are really always surprised. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, how do you know all that? How did you build that brand community? So there's there's not a, like a two-way communication street with the consumer mm-hmm. um, in a way that you see in other industries. And it's because of the three-tier distribution system mm-hmm. and the fact that you're so far removed from your consumer. So you know, as a, as a, a spirits manufacturer, you know, let's say you manufacture, you distill, then you sell it to your distributor. The distributor sells it to the retailer. The retailer gets it to the consumer. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be set up. You're really far from the, from your source. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three tier system creates a barrier to innovation because you got to sell it really up a lot of different parts of the market to get it on the shelf. Sure. Yeah. That's a, um... 
That is, that's something that I, I don't think a lot of people consider. And, you know, in, in one of our discussions before this um, interview, we were talking about the consumer and how you've kind of used your unique experience in beauty and fashion to really know who the spa girl consumer is in a way right. that um, liquor brands really haven't been able to yet. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that, because I thought mm-hmm. it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably what separates our company is that we really understood who she was um, and, and redeveloped and repackaged the brand for that. Meaning we had a, 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 a woman who is basically motivated by two things. She's got an active lifestyle and she's what we call um, affluent edgy. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like, I'll give you some comparison brands. Like we track really well to the yoga brand, Lululemon. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, we're, we're really similar. Um, they have slightly younger, but the majority of their sales represent ours exactly. Um, and what that means is that she does a lot of team sports. Like she does tennis and she does yoga and, you know, she's very social and she's with her girlfriends and she's not necessarily going to go out. Someone's going to do um, a running club or something like that. It's mm-hmm. usually female oriented and she likes nice things. You know, she'll shop at, at Target and she'll shop at Nordstrom and, you know, she'll shop in different places. So we knew quite a bit about her. She's also super health conscious. Like Mm -hmm. she wants to drink, but she's really concerned with sugar and carbs and what, you know, what bloating, her number one issue is bloating um, from drinking (laughs) too much. Um, So like our no guilt, no bloat really worked. We just, we talked to her, we've built a community of about 35,000 women that have opted in. Mm -hmm. Um, and we talk to them a lot and we've, you know, got events that we do with them and we've really worked to build a community. I don't target her. Mm-hmm. I really just try to connect with her. Right. Um, and with like-minded brands. And from that, she's really led everything. Like we just started off with cucumber and pear and we now have um, peach in our non-carbonated. And then we have our three sparklings, mango, strawberry, and pineapple. And really our consumers are the ones that said, this is what they want. These are the flavors. Mm -hmm. Um, They want the high ABV. That was the thing that really stuck out where we had an innovation problem, Joanne, because we were like, no, no, no. Our consumer wants high ABV, right? Like less liquid, less calories, less sugar, Mm -hmm. but a more substantial buzz. Right. And now the market's going, oh yeah, that really is sure. everybody. We're surging, right? We've got our uh, hard seltzer surges and whatnot. Um, (laughs) What is the ABV on Spa Girl? So we have the highest ABV for a ready to drink vodka cocktail in our, um, it's, 16.5 in our basically our 200 ml can um so that's our non-carbonated and it's 11.5 in our carbonated so there you go we're we're a little can that packs a punch of that's (laughs) (laughs) amazing um i want to backtrack a little bit you you spoke Mm -hmm. about your experience in crisis management and um i think it's really important to note that when you you came across Spa Girl, it was at a very interesting moment and kind of right before um, COVID happened. And so you definitely had to uh, deal with a lot of crisis management in that time. Can you can you share a little bit about what the company was like when you when you bought it and how you've gone about rebranding it and then how Mm -hmm. that had to change over the course of the past almost two years? Yeah, I actually just saw a quote from uh, one of the executives who said, you know, 
it, it's this is just not normal times, yeah. right? So that that's true, and that's the reality. So I acquired the company, got it recapitalized in October 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen Haynes is the founder of the company. She's just utterly amazing. Mm-hmm. She's probably got the best palette of anyone I've I've ever met in my life. Um, and but the company really didn't have any sales or real distribution. It was it was very very small. Um, so it was really kind of like recapitalizing. It, it was a startup, start over from ground zero, turn around, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, signed with Southern Glacier, um, did a national agreement with them. Decided we'd you know roll out at three or four states. Um, did our first funding round, which was about two point five million on a pre seed on February. I think it was the second and then everything shut down for COVID on the floor. Every door we had planned every, you know, we had about 75 um, hotels, resorts, and spas. We were rolling out in Vegas. I mean, it was just, it was all great. Yeah. And then COVID hit. I I think like everyone, um, I thought it was going to be about two weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So did we all. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt really overwhelming. Sure. So when we were trucking into week or month, what, eight, nine, it was like, this is, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. I have an amazing group of investors. And I think we, you know, first we just, you know, we, what we say that we did here is we just, we pivoted until we puked. I mean, it was just. <laughs> seriously it's like you can't panic you got to keep pivoting everything we kept trying what worked what didn't work um sometimes it would work sometimes it wouldn't because it's hard for all of us to remember but I mean my god we're going like two years of this now right um every way that a startup brand sells a bottle or a can ended on that day there's no liquid to lips there's no in-store tastings like every way that we all do it um is really hard which I think really goes to the brand and my team and what we've been able to do because it's, um, it's been extraordinary. So I think my background as a crisis communications manager, although I did not think that was going to be required at all. (laughs) Sure. um, I think it probably was my best asset to be honest. Of course. Yeah. We, I mean, we were discussing that. I think a big part of your brand strategy was on premise and Uh uh, how that had to shift completely um, and how you really intended to to retail 750 milliliter bottles and that shifted completely as well yeah Uh, sounds like my business plan went out the window Um, (laughs) it's not funny I'm sorry Um, no no it is it is funny look listen I you know one of the reasons I love business and I do is like I'm an optimist but I carry a raincoat um, <laughs> Smart. You know, I'm I'm always waiting for the train to run me over. Like I'm, you know, I think it makes you a good entrepreneur, a good CEO, to be somewhat paranoid. So um, I kind of assume that things aren't going to go in the right direction, and we got to not panic. But I didn't anticipate this. I think you know, you're right, Joanne. What happened is it was a 750 ml business, and what no one really, I don't think anybody saw it coming because there weren't that many of us in RTD at that time. Right. Um, is like 750 bottles just died on the vine. Like literally mm-hmm. we were in hundreds of shelves. So we switched from on-premise, which was dead. And then we got um, really great authorizations in California. We're in about 600 um, locations, like, you know, Whole Foods, Ralph's, Vaughn's, Pavilion, Safeway, like we, CVS, we really worked hard to get on there. Mm-hmm. And then we get the bottles and the bottles don't move because right. everybody wants a can, right? <laughs> 
So, um, and then there's a can shortage. Right. Well, maybe you can share a little bit more about that because I thought you were, you had some unique, I don't know, maybe it was foresight or not, or just good luck, like you said, but um, you pre-bought some cans. Yeah, a little bit of everything. I think coming out of the beauty industry where production is, frankly, the one night easy part about this business, I will tell you up until the shortage is like producing is is way easier than a lot of other businesses like Mm -hmm. beauty where you're producing 14,000 SKUs. But I thought, hey, why don't we just stockpile all these cans? Because, you know, what happens if we run out of cans? It was almost kind of like a doomsday prepper mentality. Sure. and so we we bought 75,000 cases worth of cans and boy am I really lucky we did right. because if we didn't we probably would be out of business. Um there were just no cans to be had at the time. So we switched that. We, you know, fortunately we had capital mm-hmm. um, and we were able to manufacture all the cans and then we just started, you know, hustling to remove the 750s and get the cans on shelf. So we went starting the year thinking that um 100% of our business would be 750s. We ended 20 20, um, about 50, 50. And this year, 2021, it'll be about 80, 20 percent cans, 20% 750s. And then we'll be totally out of 750s by the end of the year. We'll be hundred percent, 200 ML cans in 2022. So that just goes to show you like how really just really brutal it was. The consumer just said, yeah, no, we're not buying 750s. And the retailer said, we're not doing it. So we had to switch and the cans are that's, that's just what the consumer wants in a ready to drink vodka cocktail for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a, I mean, we've, we've certainly found that ourselves as well. Um, I, I know we, we've kind of discussed a a few of the hurdles that you've encountered, but I was also wondering if we could chat a a little bit about the supply chain shortage and, and kind of what Mm -hmm. that's done in terms of your own expenses on your end and how, how that affects your prices. So, you know, because we pre-bought and I pre-produced. So let's say the first year, it's, I always think, it, I love numbers. Mm-hmm. I think you guys can tell that. And I think this is this is this business podcast. People want numbers. They want to understand that. At least I would. So let's say the first year, you know, we had two months in market. You know, we, we barely did anything. In 2020, we did a little under 20,000 cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this year, we're going to, we doubled it this year to 40,000 cases. Actually, a little bit more than double. So it's pretty significant growth. So I was really lucky because I pre-purchased enough mm-hmm. that and man and I did a, a manufacturer because I had capital, which goes to my biggest advice to everybody. Um, you know, make sure you have capital getting in this business manufacture, assuming you're going to sell so that you get your best, um, gross margins and, you know, minimum order quantities, because that is a, is a big problem in this business, keeping your margins. So we did that, um, for 2021, I was in really good shape. The question is 2022. Mm-hmm. So I would say that based on what my supplier communications has been, it looks like they're almost going to be doubling um, the cost of goods. And and that's not just for me, it's for almost everybody and trucking and all kinds of fees are going up. So um, I think it's probably one of the biggest questions in our industry. I think a lot of the larger um, companies are lucky because they've, they've in-housed their production Mm -hmm. for bottles or whatever they're actually doing it um, as part of their overall uh, portfolio. So I think those of us on the outside, it's going to be harder. Minimums are going to go up for everybody. Pricing is going to go up. 
um, lead times are extending by sometimes mm-hmm. up to three to four months. Yeah. Extension on what we already had. So forecasting, better planning. Um, our strategy is that we're going to put a stake in the ground and say, this is how many cases we're going to move next year, which we're targeting about 85,000. Okay. That's what we're going to manufacture. And then we're just going to stick to it. So mm-hmm. rather than larger companies that can continue, if like, you know, if it works or, you know, CVS wants to rolls across the country or something, there will just be limitations until the supply chain got um, out a bit. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe this is a part of this conversation 2022 aside, but, you know, continuing the momentum for Spa Girl, what, what comes next? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. We have a pretty aggressive roadmap in terms of what we want to do from product innovation. Mm -hmm. So we've got got a whole um, part of our business called Fresh Infusions. And I think the next big let's just say the next big mountain for us as an industry is looking at infusions into our cocktails or any of our spirited drinks, Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's, you know, CBD, whether it's immunity, whether it's skin enhancing, like there's like a whole portfolio that, that we haven't gone down that we're, we're going down as, as a company. Um, And we'll see, we'll see how, how fast and fierce we can innovate. I, we're only in the state of California right now. So the, those numbers you're talking about are pretty substantial because they're in our state. We're rolling out in Nevada. Um, we're rolling out in Nashville. And so we've got some, some of that, but our strategy is um, to go deep not wide. Mm -hmm. And we are already in conversations with strategics, um, whether that's a, an investment towards a pathway to acquisition or it's a full acquisition. Um, this company was, I'd always had the intention um, based on understanding at least the economics of it, that we would create a brand community um, that was really pretty extraordinary and is very difficult to do inside a large multinational. And that we would then be able to be a beautiful kind of bolt on most likely for a really good spirit um, company. And then they would be able to take it and roll it out. I think this is an industry that prohibits young, small, innovative brands from national rollouts. From growing, it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very difficult. I think if what you can do is prove in that 50 to 100,000 case in, you know, two, three, four, at the most states, um, you know, then you basically are giving a strategic an opportunity to, to come in and roll it out. And I think as long as the current distributor model stands as is, um, that's that's just going to be important. So I personally, as an entrepreneur, like it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would say to people listening that maybe are interested in that. If you have the idea and you can do some of these other things and you've got the capital, what's really beautiful is that there's a very defined path to acquisition and a very defined metric mm-hmm. standard of what they're looking for um, from you. And so if you can manage your business to that, knowing that you're, you're not going to probably create this for the long term, these, these need to be built for acquisition, then you can have a lot of fun. Amazing. I think that's wonderful advice. Um, this has all been such wonderful advice for, for, you know, people who are interested in this business, who are, you know, budding entrepreneurs. Um, so Alisa, thank you so much for joining me and, um, we'll talk to you soon. 
All right. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you to the whole Vine Pear family. We love you. (laughs) Thanks. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.